Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 21 and also Galatians chapter 4. So if you want to sort of bookmark those two locations, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 21. Um, we're going to pray. I want to try to start incorporating in my opening prayer to praying for the missionary of the week. We've like, that's, this is one thing that's sort of, uh, I think been neglected through the, how things have sort of been restructured during COVID. Um, and so today or this week, the missionary that has the, the, the spotlight is the, the Ben and Beth Howard. Uh, they're missionaries in Japan. They serve with, um, a, a church there, a local church. We're, we're just emotionally, uh, connected to them. They, they have a salary uh, with the church there, but, but Ben was an associate pastor here many, many years ago. And so we just want to lift them up, uh, now. Um, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your, uh, the, the work that you're doing around the world, Lord. Uh, we thank you that you are a God of all peoples and all nations and that Christ, uh, came to die for all. Uh, so that we as humanity might have life in you. And so, Father, we uh, pray for Ben and Beth and Bradley and their family as they uh, serve in Japan and as they minister to uh, both the Japanese people and uh, expats who are there. Um, There's just many, many English-speaking people in in, uh, Yokohama. And so we pray for their church as they uh, just seek to uh, proclaim Christ as Lord and as they minister to the people there. We do know that Japan has has gone through a just um, uh, just a, a, they're going through a difficult season with the recent execution of their prime minister, and I know that it hit a lot of the people really hard. And so we pray uh, for the Howards as they uh, seek to be used by you there in, in uh, Yokohama, Father. As we continue through Genesis, we pray, Father, that as we um, begin to, to turn the corner here, nearing the end of, of Abraham's life, this, this huge uh, patriarch uh, within the scriptures. Father, we pray that you would help us to learn from uh, he and Sarah's life, their example uh, today as they uh, just welcome the birth of their son Isaac and just in the coming weeks as we see um, the, the testing that God is going to place upon them. And so, Father, we thank you for their example of faith. We, Most importantly, God, we thank you for your, um, your one-sided covenant to them and, and to us that our salvation like theirs is not based upon our works or our being good enough, but it's based upon your promise and your word. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us uh, to, to grow in our relationship with you uh, for those of us who have received the gift of salvation, we pray, Father, that you would help us to be truly a people of faith, that we would walk by faith and not by sight. And for those of us who maybe are here who haven't uh, reached that place where they have received you as Savior, Father, that you would help them to understand the promise that was given to them. May uh, Sarah become our mother, uh, so to speak, from today's story. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so in Genesis chapter 21, I'm going to read the first 21 verses here. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abram or Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. 
Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom had been, who had born to Abram, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac your descendant shall be named. And of the son of the maid I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder. And he gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat opposite of him, about a bow shot away, for she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite of him and lifted up her voice and wept. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear. For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this story. We ask that you would, uh, you would help us as we navigate this passage to understand both uh, what, what happened in the original context and that which Paul uh, reveals to us in the New Testament about this story. Uh, Father, we pray that through this we would grow closer to you, and that we would have a better understanding of who we are um, in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so I've been sort of on a break for a few weeks, and I, I think there's been a couple times I've, I've been back, but um, you know, I've, I've been sort of thinking about this story and, and pondering it. One of the, the things that's, that's happened in the last couple weeks is I went out to Camp Julian Oaks. We've been sort of uh, partnered with this organization for, for, for years. The Fredericks family, it's like Daniel's been involved. I think he's like the, the patriarch of the, the Frederick family as it relates to Camp Julian Oaks. And so I've been hearing about Camp Julian Oaks for a long time, and I've been hesitant to, to, to get involved with Camp Julian Oaks. Camp Julian Oaks is a, is a ministry to, to kids who are either in the foster care system 
or they ha- their path has gone through the foster system and they're either um, ad- adopted out now or they're just in a different situation. And so finally, after a number of years of sort of resisting going because of my own personal story, I thought it was too close to home and I didn't really want to unravel the onion, I, I finally you know, built the courage up because of God's conviction to sort of kick me out of the nest, so to speak, and to go. And so I went, I think it was three weeks ago, um, I went out there, spent a week, I was a counselor with two young kids, and uh, both in the foster care system, both sort of in the adoption process. And uh, throughout that week of, of hearing these young kids' stories of, of, of really horror, of uh, what led them into the foster care system, uh, and then to to hear their journey sort of from the situation uh, with their parents or parent or whatever their situation was into the foster care system and possibly into adoption, it is heart it's it's heart wrenching and and I I keep telling people I spent like half the week trying not to cry and the other half of the week crying and and in hearing these stories sort of like. Uh, the conversation of parents, family, um, it, it comes up often. And I felt very at peace with these kids because of my story. My family tree is super difficult to explain. And I hate talking about this with like normal people, like about my family tree, because it's kind of like fractured and all over the place. And it's, it really have to have a pen and paper to follow the flow chart. But then I go to camp and it's like all these kids have the same sort of situation. And so it was like a place when they say, oh, my mom, it's like, okay, which mom are we talking about? Are we talking about bio mom? Are we talking about foster mom? Are we talking about adoptive mom? And it's like, oh, I'm talking about this one. And so this whole idea of adoption kept surfacing, and to hear these kids' stories was, was beautiful, and, and uh, certainly I'm going to be involved with this organization more and more, uh, because I, 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 how can I not be is sort of the thought I've had. And the reason I bring this up is because in, in, in Genesis, in today's story, there's, there's two women. There's Sarah and there's Hagar. And we sort of see this, this picture of these two family lines sort of developing. On the surface level, uh, we, we see the story, and we're going to look at it from Genesis. But then as we go to Galatians chapter 4, uh, towards the end, we see Paul using this story to paint a, a critical a picture of sort of the, I don't want to say just the Christian life, but, but the, the life of humanity, that um, in humanity there are two lines. There's the line of Sarah and there's the line of Hagar. We are born into the line of Hagar, which is sort of in our flesh, in our works, separated from God. And then there's the line of faith uh, of Sarah and the life of promise and living a different way. And so really the, the theme of today's chapter and really the theme of Abraham that I see in the scripture is that God is compelling us to, to make the choice to be adopted into the family of faith, into this family of promise. And so uh, we can look at sort of physical adoption and lives that we see in the world around us, which has been something that this last summer has, through Camp Julian Oaks, has been on my mind, but, but this physical issue of, of uh, adoption really has huge implications uh, in the spiritual realm. Because if you have decided to give your life to Christ, you have been 
grafted in or adopted into the family of faith. And it's a, it's a beautiful, wonderful, and a powerful thing. And so I pray that all of you would ultimately make the choice to be adopted in. And if you have been adopted in, that you would uh, live your life according to faith and according to this new family that you've been adopted into. Okay, let's look at verse 1. We've got a lot of material to cover, uh, but it's a story. It's fun. And so we look at verse 1 in Genesis chapter 21. And we read, the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So verse 1 begins with this sort of reminder. God takes note of Sarah. He remembered his, his promise with her. Now, there's, there's a couple promises. A year before, he'd given a promise that said, this time next year, you're going to be with child. And then earlier, he'd also said about 25 years earlier that they, Abram and Sarah, would bear a son. And so this promise has been sort of uh, long coming. Uh, There's been a lot of ups and downs in their walk with God and trusting him for this. Uh, But God made this promise 25 years previously. And now he takes notes and he sort of comments that it was time. Verse 2. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. And so we see this appointed time. They're much older. Um, Believe Abraham's about 100 now. We know that Sarah is is unable to conceive children. And so now at this stage in their life, she finds herself, I don't feel so well in the morning. Like, I don't know, something going on. Like, I think I have the flu. It's like, huh, interesting. And then the story developed. They realize that she's pregnant. This is like the last thing that they would anticipate would happen. But we see that God's timing is perfect. I mean, you can't speed him up. You can't slow him down. When he says that something's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's determined. And so we see that at the pointed time at which God had spoken to them, Sarah, Sarah, I spent half my time trying to say Sarai, and now I have to convert back to Sarah. She is now experiencing what God has promised. Verse three, now Abraham named his son who was born to him, the son whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham was circumcised, then Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son, Isaac, was born to him. So this whole section, God commanded certain things. Do these things. Abraham did those things. Verse six, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children. Yet I have given birth to a son in his old age. This is just a cool picture. Like here's Sarah. Uh, Previously, I think it was back in chapter 16, she laughed when she got the word and her laughter was more of a mocking laughter. It's like, this is ridiculous. This is impossible. It cannot happen this way. Now this laughter, she has this kid and it's like, I just see laughter like, look at that. I'm a total old, bear, old lady that's barren, and here I am nursing a baby. Who would have thunk it? And everybody who hears the story is going to just sort of like, that's pretty amazing what happened. So I don't really uh, sense that this is mocking on her part. It's just like dumbfounded laughter. And I don't know if you've ever been there with God where God does something here like, would you look at that? Man, I was a total screw-up, and look at me now. Not because of anything I did. Like, I totally see this in my life, like, like God did something, and I know that I can't take any credit for it, 
And so all I can do is just kind of chuckle, like, huh, only if I could tell young Gunner what God was going to do, hmm, we would have a good laugh. And I kind of see that this is what she's doing here. Uh, verse 8, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So this is like a, uh, verse 8 is sort of this picture. It's a celebration of survivors, survivorship, like um, we believe uh, sort of historically that Isaac would have been somewhere between three and five years old at his weaning. Um, during this culture, like whether a baby survived or not was sort of like a, it was, it was a, they, a lot of them didn't and some of them did. And so now he's weaned. Abraham kind of gives the, like the, the, the relief of like, this is good. Um, for me, when I look at this, um, Anna's first pregnancy, I, have to, I always guard myself because we weren't pregnant. She was pregnant. She owned it 100%. Like, she was the one throwing up, not me. Like, I, like, so we lost our first kid, and it was, like, super, like, gut-wrenching. And then, uh, then when she, three years later, got pregnant with that one over there, uh, Grace, there was like a lot of um, fear and trepidation and sort of like, how's this one going to go? And so one of the big mile markers is in the ultrasound when you can see like, or you can hear on audio, the heartbeat of the baby. Like they say, like, once you hear the heartbeat, you can kind of like exhale a little bit. And so I just remember that day when we heard the heartbeat, it was like this, like goosebumps, tears, like just super joy. And so I feel like this is what Abraham in this era, in this time, this is what's happening. The boy's been weaned. He's, he's going to survive. So let's have a barbecue. Let's have all of our friends over. Let's, let's celebrate. This is a wonderful day. And it's a party that's not going to go so great by the end of this. Verse 9. So we're sort of introduced to the first part. Here's Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, beautiful story, God's faithfulness, his timing, his perfect delivery of this child of the promise. Now, in verse 9, we enter the second part of the story, sort of uh, the story of Abraham and Sarah's life where they lived by the flesh and they tried to take matters into their own hands and things are a little bit more complicated. And so in verse 9, we read, Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abram, mocking Isaac. And so there's a lot of speculation. Like if you start reading commentaries, there's going to be like, depending on the type of commentary you're reading, the more technical ones are going to sort of like question, like what does this mocking mean? Like what, like, what, is, what is happening here? Um, so there's a, there's a lot of speculation. And so I don't really want, like when the great minds like spend their lives writing these commentators, they're all disagreeing. It's like, well, I, like anything I say is just going to be sort of like, commenting on what they think, you know, like I, but what we can all agree on, there's two things that we can agree on uh, from this passage. Number one, whatever uh, Ishmael did to Isaac, Sarah wasn't happy, right? Like we can all agree on that. Sarah's not happy with whatever was happening. And then the second thing I think that we could pull from is if we go to Galatians chapter four, we're not going to do it yet. We'll see it in a little bit. When Paul writes about this story, he says that Ishmael 
was persecuting Isaac, that there was some sort of persecution. So this is like, this is more than just lighthearted jest. Like this is something a little bit more malicious, in my opinion. We also have to take in the age consideration. So if, if Isaac is about three to five years old, Ishmael at this point, they say, is somewhere between 15 and 18 years old. And so he's like an older teenager. I can imagine that there is some sort of hostility. Um, you have a son from the, the, the one mother who's actually a slave, that he had sort of rights to the throne and to the, uh, all of you know, the wealth of Abraham. Suddenly, the wife of Abraham bears a son. So what happens to Ishmael and his inheritance? So, so I can see there being some tension and some at odds with one another. Verse 10, therefore she said to Abraham, so Sarah says to Abraham, drive out this slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And so Mama Bear is really ticked off. And uh, this feels really harsh. Like when I read this initially, I'm like, this just seems like really harsh. And verse 11, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son Ishmael. Like this seems pretty, uh, this just seems reasonable, right? Like we have the incident back in chapter 16. For those of you that don't remember what happened in chapter 16, Sarah came up with this like great plan. The great was in air quotes. Uh, She can't conceive. God made this promise. Abraham, he might be fertile. Like maybe the problem was on his, her, like her side. And she says, well, I got, we picked up this, this, this maid down in Egypt and I have this slave. Uh, why don't you go ahead and conceive with her? We'll have a kid. We'll help God along. We'll do things to sort of speed up the process. It'll be wonderful. Abraham's like, okay. He goes along with it, and Ishmael is born. The baby is kind of growing up. Sarah is now having a hard time, and she very rashly says, get rid of them. And she basically so harsh on them that they flee, and then they basically rebound back. It wasn't the right thing to do. And so Abram has seen this before. Last time, he didn't really like intervene. He didn't really seek God. He just sort of went along with the program. And so here he is again, and he's greatly distressed because this is his son. Like he recognizes that this, this is his son, and now she's telling me to get rid of him, to excommunicate him, to basically cut him out of the will and to send him on his way. And so he is just distraught over this. Seems reasonable. Then we come to verse 12, and we'll see that something is different this time. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the boy and your slave woman. Whatever Sarah tells you to do, listen to her. Um, I a bunch of commentators pointed out that every wife has this highlighted in her Bible. Like, I thought it was pretty funny, but I didn't know how applicable it is. But then I was like, gosh, that's why I'm kind of chuckling up here. I'm like, it's kind of funny. Um, So God says to Sarah, hey, like to Abraham, like whatever Sarah tells you, listen to it. Listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. He's saying that her thinking is correct. Something's different here. And this time, this isn't like a rash decision. This, 
the, this family, Hagar and Ishmael, they need to be cut out and they need to be set sort of aside. And then God also reaffirms his, his covenant with Ishmael. And he says, and of the slave woman, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. So, so God intervenes. He affirms that what Sarah is saying and instructing to do, that is correct, and he is to listen to her. And then he also reminds Abraham that this promise that he gave to Ishmael is still valid, and he's going to make a great nation of, 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 uh, of Ishmael. And so in this moment, we sort of see the, the, the birth of, of Israel and the Arab peoples. And, and I don't want to make too much of a big deal about this, but this tension of the Middle East, it's like, it's so rooted in so much more than what politics can solve. This is, there's something deep, this tension that exists, and I believe that only God can resolve it. In the more practical sense, when I look at this story and I look at Abraham's sort of situation between these two women and these two sons, um, there's just like an unfortunate like reality that if you've spent a lot of your life sowing in the flesh, then later in your life when you're walking with God, there's going to be sort of complicated things to untangle. And there's often not like a simple easy answer to sort of untangle the ball of twine. Like, it's difficult. And I think that this is why, like, parents who have a past, who've become Christians and are now walking with the Lord, like, are pleading with their kids, like, live for God. Do it early. Do it often. Like, don't get sucked down to that road because it's not easier. Like, it might seem more pleasurable. It might seem like the faster, easy, more successful way to go. But when you fast forward your life 30 years and you're stuck with this dilemma that there's just, there's just not simple answers. And so here we have Abraham really reaping like a consequence of this season where he and his wife were walking in their flesh. And they did things that God didn't want them to do. And now God is separating them and it's painful. And there's this just... Like, I wish there was a way I could sugarcoat this, but there isn't. This is, this is painful. And so the next day on verse 14, Abram got up early in the morning and he took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar and he put them on her shoulder and he gave her, her and the boy, wait, my, my thoughts were too ahead of me, putting them on her shoulder and gave her and the boy and gave her the boy that's where I went wrong. I'm trying to say too many things here. Um, okay, so let me start over. Uh, let's strike that from the record here. Uh, so Abraham got up early in the morning, and he took the bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. And so it seems to me, what I, in my study, what I've come to see here is what this seems to, is more than just setting her away. This is sort of the protocol for like, uh, you've been cut out of the will, you're no longer part of my life, be gone. Like this is like a, a, a formal being kicked out of the family and being sent on your way. And, and so she's got like some bread, some water, and her son, and she's now wandering south through Beersheba. So if we're at Jerusalem and we start going south, um, you'll come to Beersheba. Uh, 
when you read stories in the Bible and when you do a trip to Israel, often you'll go from Dan to Beersheba. That's like the northern and southern markers of Israel. And so what it seems like is happening is that Hagar, who is from uh, Egypt, is now making her way back home. And so she gets as far as uh, Beersheba, and the water has run dry, and the bread is gone, and Beersheba is barren. There's like nothing there. This is like being out in uh, you know, Death Valley. Like it's in the middle of nowhere with no resources. And she, like, what's she going to do? She's super helpless. And so verse 15, we come to this really sad scene. It's heartbreaking, really. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes, and then she went away and sat down opposite of him. About a bow shot away. I'm not exactly sure how far a bow shot is, but that's about how far. Um, For she said, may I not see the boy die. And she sat opposite of him and raised her voice and wept. And so she, it seems like that they're so physically deplenished. I don't know what time of year this was. It could be brutally hot and they're just like, they're heat exhaustion and they're like, they're reaching the point where they think they're going to die. And so she gets the boy sat down and she walks to a place where she can't see him. And if they're both going to die, she just can't bear seeing her son die. And she's weeping. And then verse 17, there's this very beautiful picture. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God. So this could, you can make a case that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. And I just, I, I love this. Like in our desperate moments, like this is like the family tree that's bad. This is the the flesh. This is walking by sight. These are people who are, are painted in the Bible as, as not uh, being God's people. And yet here they are in their desperation crying out. And what do we read? That God heard them. And so you could have been turning your back on God for your whole life, giving him the finger, doing all sorts of bad stuff, saying, I don't believe, I can't handle this. Like, I don't, like, but then you, re- you finally reach your breaking point and you cry out. And I can assure you that in that moment, God hears you. God hears you and he says to them, don't fear for God. God has a different plan for them. And I just love this this picture of encouragement that God gives Hagar and Ishmael, really the, the villains in the story, like even as the New Testament sort of expands on this, he says, there's hope for you. God loves you. I care for you. I, I gotta, I'm doing something here. There's hope for you. And he, and he says, get up, lift up the boy and hold him in your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and she filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. So God uh, sees this. And uh, can we turn the like, Melanie, can we like the lights? I just noticed, I'm like, my eyes are getting worse. Like, I'm like thinking something like really bad happened over the last six weeks. I'm like, did I age that? Ah, look at this. I've been sitting here dealing with my like mortality going, man, like I went to the eye doctor, he said everything was good. And then I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm like, he provided light. Um, and so God like reaches out from heaven, encourages them, but then not only just encourages them emotionally, but then he gives them a practical touch. He gives them some water and he provides for them. And she, he opens up her eyes and she can see. And then God was with the boy and he grew and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. And he lived in the wilderness 
of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him in the land of Egypt. And so this is an interesting story. We see Abram being separated, uh, or the two boys being separated from one another, Abraham sort of being caught in the middle, uh, God telling Abraham that the whole, all of the promises, this Abrahamic covenant, everything that I'm giving to you is coming through the son Isaac. And then as, as Ishmael is sent out with his mom for sort of like abandonment, being cut out of the will, um, we see that God is with them too, giving them promises. And so like looking at this story, it's like, well, where do we go from here? Like what, what is the point of like, this is all leading up to next week. We're going to chapter 22. I know there's a section there, but John covered it a couple weeks ago. And we'll see the great display of like Abraham's faith in, in being willing to sacrifice his son because, like, because God asked him to do so. He doesn't understand why God's asking him to do it. He knows that God has laid everything through Isaac. God's now asking him to do something that seems really crazy. He's not trying to make sense of anything. He just wants to be obedient. So we see this progression in Abraham's life. And so this is like the beginning of it. But then in the New Testament, if you want to turn over to Galatians chapter 4, Paul the Apostle, this great Jewish man, he gives insight about what is happening in this chapter and really that there are some very significant applications for us today. And so over in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 22, sort of the setting here, we went through Galatians a little while ago. Galatians is probably the earliest book in the New Testament as far as the epistles go. Uh, a bunch of Gentiles had come to, to faith in Christ, and now Paul is dealing with the Jewish people who are telling them, you have to be circumcised, you have to live by the law, you have to do all of these things if you want to become right with God. And Paul is saying, absolutely, you do not. Christ died for us. He is the sacrifice, and in him we have life, we have freedom, and we walk by faith. And so he's telling these young converts, these Gentiles who have given their life to Christ, about their freedom in Christ. And so in verse 22, verse, chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says, For it is written that Abram had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. So now he's transporting us back to the story in Genesis where we find ourselves today and for the last few weeks. So he has two sons, one by a slave woman, that's Hagar, and one by a free woman, that's Sarah. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh. This is what we've been talking about. Sarah and Abram tried to take matters into their own hands. God had told them that he would do something. The thing that he told them wasn't happening fast enough for them. The math didn't add up. And so he or she and he decided that they would then come up with this alternate plan so that they could help God along. But the son of the slave, verse 23, was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through a promise. That's today's chapter, that God made this happen. The math didn't add up. It made no sense. Sarah is now laughing. Would you look at this? Because it happened because of what God did and what God said. And so he sort of frames his section here that there's these two lines, these two women. Uh, I've heard it, I don't, it's probably not appropriate, I don't know, but I always like, who's your daddy? You know, like we hear that saying, the, the real question in Bible is, who's your mama? And this is the case that Paul's making, who's your mama? Like, are, is your mom Sarah or is it Hagar? That's where he's going with these two lines. Hagar is of the flesh. 
Sarah is of the promise or of faith. He goes on in verse 24 and he says, "May now this, the story that we read in Genesis chapter 21, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Now on allegory, Charles Swindoll says this, allegorical interpretation has been defined as searching for a hidden or secret meaning underlying but remote from and unrelated in reality to the more obvious meaning of the text. So that's allegory. So Paul is saying when we look at Genesis chapter 21, there's the the main and plain reading, which is the story of Abraham, his wife, his maidservant, and these two boys. That's the, the primary understanding. But he's saying, but with this story, we can look to something beyond the obvious and underneath the surface. This is called allegory. I cannot bring this out without giving a stern warning. We should be cautious. We shouldn't do this as it relates to the Bible unless the Bible tells us specifically that this is to be done. So there's not like when we read and study the Bible, the main reading is the plain meaning. It's That's what, what is intended from the text. Now, in today's story, the Bible says, hey, when we look back at the story, we can interpret this allegorically. This isn't telling us that we should do this with every single uh, passage in the Bible, right? This is super important, for at least for me as a Bible teacher. Um, the original context should be taken literally. Here, Paul adds allegory. He's saying to us, Hagar represents the old covenant, law, works, the flesh. Sarah represents the new covenant, faith, promise, living according to this plan. He continues, one is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. What this is saying in layman's terms, Hagar represents the Mosaic law. During Paul's day, if you were to go to Jerusalem or you were to go to the Jewish people today who are living according to the Old Testament, they are children of Hagar, meaning that they are trying to fulfill the commandments in the Old Testament to make their relationship with God right and correct. And so this whole line is trying to achieve success in relationship with God through works and good behavior. This is summed up by the person who you meet and you ask them, where do you think you're going to go when you die? And they respond, I'm going to heaven because I've been a good person. I can't tell you how many police officers I've talked to who have this response. It's really easy for them to say that because the clientele in large part are, are people who are doing bad things. And so they, it's really like, look at all the good I've done. Not all police officers, obviously, but I've talked to a lot. And this, like, I'm a good person. We do this all the time. Like, this is a very easy thing as we compare other people. Those are children of Hagar. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. So we transition from the Jerusalem below, Paul's Jerusalem, the Judaizers, those that are trying to make the law and the flesh the way that we attain relationship with God. He says that we are from the Jerusalem above. It's free. It's our mother. I'm skipping verse 27 to verse 28 for speed, for time's sake. 
Verse 28, now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So it is now. And so Paul's looking back at Genesis chapter 21. He's looking at this little family barbecue, celebrating that Isaac is of age and his survivability is he's going to make it. Dad makes his barbecue to celebrate the wonderful things for his young three to five-year-old boy and the 15 to 18-year-old boy Ishmael. It says that he's harassing him. Paul says he persecuted him. And so he's persecuting him and it wasn't on the surface level. It's because those that try to live according to the law, those that try to live by good works, those that want to uh, have a relationship with God based on the things that we do or don't do are at odds with those who live by faith. The idea that Christ died for you, that he was your substitute, and that you can become right with God through faith alone because of God's grace is super offensive to them. And because of that, persecution comes. And this is what Paul lays out now. He says, so it is now, like it was back in Genesis chapter 21. Today, at the writing of time of Galatians, it was that way. Today, in 2022, it's the same way. We shouldn't be surprised when we see that grace is under attack. Not my daughter, Grace, but the concept of grace, the doctrine of grace, that you're saved by grace alone, period, end of story. It's not by your good works. You have none. Isaiah says, your good works are but filthy rags, and the word is a menstrual rag. We have nothing good to offer. The only thing that we bring to the the table with our salvation is our sin. And so verse 30, he continues and he says, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free. So he goes back to this where Sarah says, you got to kick this, this woman and her son away from here. He can't be a part of the inheritance that God promised to you. And so he's saying here in this text, allegorizing the story, that if you're in Christ, Stop adding work. Stop saying, I'm saved by grace, but that I'm going to continue by doing good things. I'm going to live my life by doing good works. Yeah, Jesus died for me on the cross, but I'm going to, I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to sort of cover my bases and I'm going to stop swearing. I'm going to stop getting drunk. Well, you should do some of these things. Like, I'm like, but not for your salvation, but like, I'm going to like, you know, go to church on Sundays. I'm going to teach Sunday school. I'm going to give lots of money away and let people know about it. I'm going to do all of these things. Just in case Jesus' work on the cross wasn't sufficient for me, I'm going to do this. And we might not do this like intellectually. We know we're saved by grace alone, but then sort of practically because of our upbringing or because of whatever, we feel like we're not competent. We feel like we're not worthy of somebody loving us this way, forgiving us this way like whatever it is. And so the, the plea here is to get these things out of your life that infringe upon God's grace and his gift to you. Galatians 3.23 says, but now faith has come. We are no longer under a tutor. The whole law was to show us our sin and our need for a savior. We are not under the law. The law has been set aside or rather it's been kicked out. 
And then in Galatians chapter 5, 1, Paul rests his case and he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This is a wonderful truth. Christ has died for us to set us free, to give us life, to give us hope. Life abundant. And when we try to live according to the law, whether it's from the Bible or our own rules that we're putting upon ourselves, it doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to entrapment and slavery. So then the question is like, what do we do with this passage? So in short, what do we do with this passage? Answer the question, who's your mama? Are you, are you a child of Sarah or are you a child of Hagar? And what this passage is, is pushing us to, to is that God wants you to be a child of Sarah. It's not what you've done. It's what he has done for us. And if you believe in Christ for salvation, you've been adopted in, grafted into the family of Abraham. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And having the pleasure of like hanging out with these kids who are like being adopted into these families that like they're going from no parent to then being adopted in, and then the adopted in means that you have full privileges, full everything. Like, legally, you are a child. It's exactly the picture that the Bible gives to us as our inheritance with God, that if you believe in Christ, you're grafted in. You have all of the privileges, all of the benefits as children of Abraham. And don't just go there for salvation. Go there for living. We were saved by grace. We live by grace. We walk by grace. We should be people of grace. So, Father, we do thank you that your economy with us isn't based upon our own good works, our own good deeds. I can only imagine the, the pressure and the burden that would bring to, to think that you were keeping a little tab of a ledger up there and sort of weighing our good and bad and if we're honest and reasonable people, we understand how, how sinful we are, our thoughts, our actions, the desires of our heart. We are so fallen and, and so drawn to sin. And so, Father, we thank you that that is not how you interact with us. Father, we thank you that back in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, you very quickly established a plan that life would come through this seed that would flow through uh, Abraham and Sarah to Isaac, all the way to the Messiah. And that the Messiah would live this perfect life and that he would go to the cross and that the weight of the world's sin would be placed upon him. My sin, past, present, and future, would be placed upon him and he would absorb your wrath that was due me. And I thank you, God, that I can come to you as a child, as an heir, not by my works, but simply receiving this this gift that you have given by faith. Father, I pray that you would free me and free all of us from the lies of this world. For your economy doesn't make sense according to the world's standards. Father, I pray that you would help us to truly be set free in Christ, for salvation, and for living. Father, help us to be children of Sarah. We love you, Father, and it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.